Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler, and today I have an amazing episode to share with you. I just had a conversation with a guy named Raghunath Kapo. Uh, it was a really fun conversation. We talked about a variety of different things that I'll let you hear about in this episode. Uh, Raghunath has an amazing podcast I recommend you check out called Wisdom of the Sages. Uh, he's a yoga teacher, you former punk rock vocalist and musician, uh, has a really interesting story and I think you're going to get a lot out of this one. So please, without further delay, enjoy this conversation with Raghunath Kapo. Hey, Raghunath, thank you so much for joining the show today. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So for the audience out there who maybe is not entirely familiar with your work just yet, would you mind sharing with them in your own words what it is that you do? (laughs) (laughs) What I do? Well, you know, I was uh, known in my teens because I was a singer and a songwriter for uh, a popular uh, hardcore straight edge band. We sort of popularized the straight edge movement, which was basically young kids. We didn't take drugs. We didn't take intoxications and we were into animal rights. Now that sounds big deal. Back then it was like, it was groundbreaking, especially in the punk music scene, which was filled with drugs, filled with just like no boundaries. And that sort of set me on sort of a path, which was sort of like alternative music meets Um, sort of self-control and internal discipline. And then when I was 22, and when my band started becoming more and more successful, my father died. And I started getting more and more into spiritual life over the previous three years, from the time I was probably 19 to 22. And at that time, I left for India, became a monk. So I was a a Krishna monk for about six and a half years. And uh, I had practiced yoga already. I was into Ayurvedic medicine already. And now I was like really studying sacred literature and living the life of a monk. Then something peculiar happened in the ashram. The more I studied ancient texts of India, it doesn't recommend subjugating all your desires, but it, it recommends using your desires in a spiritual way, sort of refining your desires. As a matter of fact, I was talking about that this morning on our morning podcast was we by very nature have desires and therefore to just try to suppress them because like as the buddha says desires cause pain but to suppress them it's not lasting you can't last in the world like that so it's not about killing desire but it's about refining your desire so instead of desiring things that are going to degrade my life i i I desire things that are going to upgrade my life Instead of desiring friends that degrade me, I'm going to desire friends that upgrade me or communities that upgrade me or food that upgrades my life. So in the, in the, in the process of yoga, I study called bhakti yoga. It's not about negation of the world, but it's about picking out hand selecting things of this world 
And that's everything. That's relationships, that's uh, culture, that's dialogue, that's friendships, that's food, um, that's activities that make me a better person and increase the quality of my life. And that's been sort of, that was my practice incredibly strictly for six and a half years. And then the last, you know, probably 20 years of my life, probably 30 years of my life maybe, um, has been how to do that outside of being a monk. And now I've married, I have five children, and I'm a, I teach yoga internationally. And I teach the philosophy of yoga on a regular basis. And sort of that's what I do right now. And my music is, my music was sort of my backstory of how I got into all this stuff um, and how sometimes a lot of my uh, students even know me from because we did travel also internationally for years. What do you think about that story? I think it's a remarkable <laughs> journey. And you know, I would love to ask you first about just the, it's, it's sort of like a uh, really interesting place to start with a straight edge sort of punk uh, movement, uh, as you described. It was a movement. It was like tens of thousands of people. Like that's, that's incredible to me just to think of it's, it's sort of like a uh, contradiction in a way. Uh, you know, especially you think of punk music, you think of sort of like those teenage years rebelling against the system, that sort of thing. So to combine that with. Well, exactly the name of your podcast, man. Yes, exactly. exactly the name of your podcast because it was like, like I have, I'm from a big Italian family and, and, and a home run, I, I think for the parents was, let's get all these kids, make sure none of them get hooked on drugs and get them into college and then they'll be okay. And for me, that was part of my rebellion. Like I, there what do I want to learn? Like, what, what, where do I even want to go with this life? Where do I, who do I want to become? And I feel like oftentimes people get pushed into business school, law school, medical school, and they don't even necessarily even want to be that. They never really thought about where they're setting that ladder as they climb the ladder of success. And when they get to the top, they realize, what the hell am I doing here? I have all these accoutrements of success but I'm miserable or I'm a hundred thousand dollars in debt. And I don't even, even, I don't know if I'm ever going to recoup that with the, with the uh, <laughs> degree that is no longer uh, valid anymore as time, as, as the material world changes so quickly. So for me, it was like sort of, you follow your passions and you try to do it with integrity. And um, we were forced to like be, you know, doing a band in the eighties, you were forced to self-educate. And uh, we had to learn how to book our own shows, book our own tours. We started our own record company. Um, we learned, you know, practiced our music, wrote our own, wrote and produced our own records. And, you know, I, I you know, when I was 22, I renounced my record company. And, uh, but I had already released, you know, 20 releases for other bands that I was friends with. It's, it's something about that, uh, being able to channel your energy productively though, which I find interesting, you know, as opposed to, yeah. you know, the, sometimes the normal, you can channel yeah. it the wrong way too. You can take that same rebellion and end up dead on the streets. Exactly. Yeah. As, as many young musicians do. Right. Yeah. I got lucky with some good influence. I think I was fortunate. I had good parents too. And then, you know, when I think back to that time, I mean, I wasn't alive in the eighties, but when I think back to the, you know, what I understand of that time, uh, in, you know, sort of like punk, punk culture. And then also just, you know, you look at the, you know, if you were geared towards a more straight edge mentality, it's like where, you know, 
to have another sort of contradictory break into, you know, like Eastern spiritualism and, you know, yoga and all that you described again, it seems like just, you know, it's like contradiction after contradiction. It was like a scene within a scene within a scene. (laughs) It it really was (laughs) because the straight edge itself became sort of a bubble in a bubble. We liked the aggressive music. It was filled with stage diving and jumping around and uh, that intense aggression, but we were also into like nonviolence, non, you know, clean living, positive mental attitude, you know, self-control, self-discipline, uh, karma theory, all these things that like were part of our lyrics. Yeah, anyway, just, but it, it, it seems like an alternate, you know, like well, I, at least what I sense from a lot of people that I know who go, you know, sort of dive deep into that stuff is they're seeking, you know, an alternate way of living, an alternate state, you know, one where maybe they feel more, uh, tune with nature or they feel more calm, uh, something of that sort, sort of looking for an alternate state, which, you know, it's, you, you know, a lot of people also utilize drugs or psychedelics to get there. So it's, it's sort of interesting again, to see that uh, dichotomy in play. You know, there was something about the druggy culture of the eighties that I was like, I don't want anything to do with this. And I, I, I was lucky. I was got into sports and health, healthy living at a young age. And um, it just sort of kept me clear from it. Um, but yeah, it's, you, only t- you only need a couple bad choices to ruin your life. And I felt like a little, I felt like I was protected from that, even though I was sort of surrounded by it. And did you have any uh, college experience? I went for like a year or a year and a half. And then I was like, you know, and I was pretty good at math. I liked math because I felt like there were solutions to problems. But then I realized like, what do I want to teach people math? What am I going to do with this? Where am I going with this? Whereas with the music, I felt, you know, I'm actually can tangibly affect people's lives. Um, with, with I think the world is, was in a dark place. And I feel like, you know, these are positive messages and I can do something tangible to help people. Why not do that? And let's just see where it goes. It wasn't a career choice, but years into it, um, I've got allergies. That's why I'm a little sniffing right now, but um, years into it, you know, when I'm, you know, flying to Tokyo or something and, and they ask you what your occupation is, you're like, oh, I guess I'm a musician. I never thought about that. I'm a professional musician. Now I feel the same way because I travel the world to teach yoga and I think, oh, I guess I'm a yoga teacher. It's like I've really only had two jobs. I was a yoga teacher and a musician and both don't seem like jobs. And both basically because I love both of them and can do them literally 24-7, 365 days a year. So when you love your job, you love what you do. You don't have to work anymore. And so part of my like drive was do what you love to do. And uh You'll, you'll, there'll never be a thank God it's Friday moment. You never get that. I can work on Sunday all day because I love to do it. And sometimes, and, and then you get paid and you realize, oh man, I get paid for this too. This is incredible. <laughs> I'm totally with you on that. You know, I, I own my own business myself and, uh, you yeah. know, sort of took a similar, like went to college for one year, uh, you know, but breaking away from that path to be able to, you know, and thinking about like what you said, you know, where to position the ladder of success as opposed to just starting to climb with really no context of what you're doing. You know, if you really analyze, my kids are homeschooled right now. Excellent. And it's almost like so much time is wasted just 
driving to school, driving back to school or sitting on the bus or in between classes or oh, there's time off or assembly. It's just like wasted time. And there's that, when I was growing up, there was a band called the Dead Kennedys and they had this great lyric, like, I don't want to learn. This is about, uh, going, uh, about university was, I don't want to learn. I just want to get drunk and major in business and be taught how to get laid, basically. And that's oftentimes when you don't pay for your university, your parents pay for you. You're not thinking of like, okay, if I skip this class, what does that actually equate to in dollars and cents? Like how much did I just give away by skipping that class? So I find that in my own life, my parents never, you know, we didn't have that much money. So if I wanted to go to school, I, I, I went to local university and it wasn't that expensive. But even if I did feel like skipping school, I was like, I'm just skipping my own money here. This is my own money. Who am I cheating here? And if you don't get that lesson by paying for it, it's very easy just to blow it off. And um, it happens whenever you don't have any skin in the game. So I was lucky my parents had that sort of hardball parenting with me. Yeah, you can go to university, but you can pay for it. And I mean, the- all my brothers and sisters went and I just didn't want to go. And they weren't let down. They just let, let me choose what I wanted to do with my life. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's interesting because it can be so much more deceptive today because, uh, you know, the skin in the game is usually some, you know, incalculatable amount of uh, student loans that you would you would take out that, you know, like an 18-year-old really has no clue what, you know, $50,000 a year it's, really it's means. It's so ridiculous. And the cost of these private schools have gone up so much. And I, I literally have students that have cried to me, yoga students who say, you know, I don't know what to do. It's like, I'm $250,000 in debt. And I like my, I mean, I could, I could tell you, here's the deal. I deal with people all the time who are very successful, but sad because they come to India with me. I take people on pilgrimages to sacred India, or they do a teacher training of yoga when they're in some type of transition. So I deal with people all the time who are going through these things like, I just cut past my bar finally. And all I really want to do is have babies or that like that's one situation or, um, you know, I, 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 my parents pushed me into medical school. I I wasn't really interested in doing, I want a whole nother career or I have all the accoutrement success of success, but I I don't want to be here. I'd much rather do something where I feel effective in the world or I'm spending my entire life getting, getting this idiot rich. You know, they hate their boss. They, they, they see their boss is corrupt. And we, I call it like busy doing nothing where you're just sort of like incredibly busy getting somebody else rich. And uh, you don't even like the person you're assisting their success. And, and by, by, by living like a monk, I learned how to be happy with nothing. It was a great practice of getting rid of, there's nothing to purchase. You don't purchase any clothes. You have no clothes. You don't go out to dinner. You don't go to restaurants. You don't, you don't uh, uh, go to movies. You go to bed early. You wake up early. You're sleeping on the floor. It's you're taking cold showers. Like there's no external pleasure. So the next question is, well, where are you getting your pleasure from? You're forced to go inside to find your pleasure. All the ex- external things have been taken away. And I find that is a great little dance. And if you could figure out that dance, you could be actually happy in this life. And, you know, now it's, my life is different. I have a, a big property that we run teacher trainings from. 
and I have a whole 5,000 square foot house on the property that students stay at. I have a yoga studio on the property. I have five kids. I'm married. So I have stuff, but you have to apply those same type of principles to stuff. Because the interesting thing is about stuff, you can lose all your stuff at any moment. It can happen in a hurricane. It can happen with the IRS. It can happen anywhere. But everything that is called stuff is temporary. So it's good training as a monk to find to find your pleasure without any stuff. And then if you get stuff, you just use that stuff in a positive way. So, uh, so yeah. So success in the material world is a little tricky. Um, yeah, it's it's like. It, it, uh... It's a challenge to not let your possessions own you at all. Sort of, I feel like that's from Fight Club or something. But uh, yeah, it's like we, uh, your desires we love way. things. What, what is it? We love things, and we I can't remember the quote. But. <laughs> we use pe- we use people. We love things instead of loving people and using things. That's what it is. Got it. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, um, yeah, and it's a, and, and and we've been programmed to think, and it, it's a, it's an old it's an old, we're running old programs. Like that's the only way to be successful. All my greatest friends who are successful just made their, made their own businesses and followed their passions. I know very little people have graduated and are doing what they, doing what the, the degree they graduated in. Well, it's interesting the order that it seems like these things are happening. You know, uh, you kind of get thrown on the, the college career conveyor belts quickly uh, at a young age before having any exposure to the real world, then people end up in, in your camp and learning from you and doing these retreats to India where I'm sure they're, you know, learning how to be happy without these, you know, measures of success from the Western world. And it's almost as if, you know, the whole system should be reversed so that we start with the right premise and the right value. You know what's true. It's backwards. It's, It's backwards. We figure that, and it's sad because we're, this is what we teach children is like, your stuff makes you happy. Your stuff is, your, and, and it's not your stuff that makes you happy. What makes you happy is your contribution. If you're even successful, but you feel like, you know, financially successful or in an important uh, position in, in the workplace, if you don't feel like you're contributing to something worthy, I would say it's hard to feel success because our worth comes from our worthy activities. Our self-esteem comes from esteemable activity. It's not just going to come from a paycheck at all. You'll just have more stuff. And I tell you, there's nothing more cleaning when you get, there's nothing more satisfying than when you get rid of stuff. Ever like clean out your garage or clean out your house. It's like the relinquishing of stuff. I will say for myself, so many times i've walked away from situations where i'm just like this is over i'm moving out of this house and i felt it's such especially when i became a monk for the first time and when you learn just like i don't need anything to be happy yeah i mean in in my mind you have to be in order to get more you gotta you gotta lose some stuff you know so the more that you're able to cut out any sort of unnecessary objects items clothes whatever uh you know it's sort of leave space for new things to enter your life anyways. Sort of like, yeah. you know, just part of the cycle. Yeah, it's cluttering. And and what you mentioned about, you know, how it's sad, how, you know, we gear people towards, you know, accumulating stuff and accumulating particular types your of children. Stuff. Yeah, your children. children. Well, the, the really sad thing is it's, I don't think that it's really so much the parents that are even doing it so much as media and advertisements that are telling you that your life is not, 
in a good situation now, you need to upgrade, you need to buy this product, you need to get the latest version. It's advertisements and media that are sort of creating this framework for people to operate in. I think it's rare for, you know, it's not like parents going like, hey, you need to get a new iPhone. It's really more of a you know, the way the advertisements like, affect it, us. It is, and it's more insidious than ever. And it's, it, it, we don't even, we don't even realize that it's going on. The, the current of culture just like drags you like a riptide out to sea. Yeah, I'm lucky because my wife was on board with me about how we wanted to raise the kids and we just did alternative parenting. And even with like with COVID right now, I think we're just going to spend this year just going to national parks and, you know, packing up and we're going to learn on the road. And um, I do a podcast and so we're going to do our podcast because I can't teach yoga right now. Um, and I can't, yeah. I had to cancel my India pilgrimage in October. So um, we're just going to go on the road and I'm going to do my podcast from the road. And, and that's that just how we're, and we're going to make lemonade out of this as best we can. And we're going to be into our immune system and taking care of ourselves. And, you know, my daughter is just now asking for a phone and she's 15. Wow. And, 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 and still we're thinking, well, I don't know. We're, we're, we're actually telling her, I'm telling her she can get on Instagram if she starts a, her own business, if she's into animal rights. So we were thinking like animal rights t-shirts or her, she's also a painter. So she paints drawings of animals and she has art shows and stuff like that. So, so yeah, you can create a business through it. But I, 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 I warned her, I said, I use Instagram for my business and it's incredibly useful, but it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. It's highly addictive like crack. And if you're not careful, you get sucked into it super quick and I can, and it's not just for children. I do too. And I don't like it. And I, I'm a, uh, I'm attention deficit disorder, a, a pathetic case myself. So I have to be really careful. And I think part of the um, healing of that ADD culture that I am part of um, is just spending quality time outdoors and off tablets and things like that. And, and, and really sort of, it's time to put down the phone, dad. Yeah. It's time to put down the phone and time. There is a screen time and it's regulated. And like anything that's addictive, like alcohol, alcohol isn't so bad if it's regulated. It's when it's unregulated and people have um, addictive tendencies. That's when it gets really deep. These apps are the same way. They're unregulated. They're just, we just check in with them. And we are, what's happened is our mind has lost our downtime. The mind has no downtime. You can't just walk to your car. You you walk out of the supermarket to your car. You gotta check your WhatsApp. You gotta check your messages. I gotta check my Instagram. I gotta check my Instagram messages. It's like, when does the mind get a rest? And this is what we're calling like evolution and the, the pinnacle of evolution. <laughs> Give yeah, me a break. Totally. I'd rather be on a horse. I know. Give right? me a horse. Yeah, it sounds like the, uh, the, the national park education sounds far better and more productive and I'm sure uh, will have a greater effect than, you know, the fluorescent light uh, standardized test education. Well, I just read in the, I think it was Wall Street Journal, they said that uh, um, the studies are out now that screen time is okay. It's the quality of the screen time. And I was thinking, this is such bullshit. Yeah, that sounds. This is bullshit. I'm not buying it. Now they're recommending kids are on screens all the time. Give me a break. I know if I get on my computer for a long, I get depressed. That sounds I get like when, it sounds like uh, when you when you hear that you know like archaic 
uh, tale of doctors prescribing cigarettes as a right solution <laughs> right. back Coca-Cola in like the forties or whatever. Yeah, like that, that's, that's what, what it, it is. But it, like, yeah. but it almost sounds like really. I, I'm not a conspiracy theory guy, but this sounds like we're recommending our kids to be on the screen all the time. Public schools are all having their kids on the screen. It is like for I was even you know two years ago I took my kids out of a Waldorf school and Waldorf school has a really cool pedagogy. It's a 400 acre K through 12 school with a you know, biodynamic farm, a raw milk dairy, a bakery, a health food store. It was really cool. But I took them out. We, we, um, it's homeschool and, and, and forest school. And a forest school is you drop them off in the forest (laughs) and they have from like nine o'clock to three o'clock where they are outdoors all day long. I live in upstate New York. So this is like in the, it can be pouring rain out. Sometimes I'm even built, I was like, oh my God, I got to drop the kids off in the rain in the forest. <laughs> and you know what happens? They deal with it. They deal with it and they figure out how to have fun. And that, you know, what's interesting. My kids that come home, they're all playing soccer on the front lawn and it's like 50 degrees and drizzling and they're barefoot and they're ecstatic and their immune system's strong and they don't get sick. It's, it's actually incredible. They're like old school farmers you know, who have that hardiness to them and a strong constitution. But we like pandered everybody. We put them on screens. They can't see their friends. And what happens is we wreck our own, we're wrecking our immune systems. We're talking about getting sick. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable. And um, I hope I'm not get off your, uh, off track with your oh, podcast no, not, theme not at today. All. Not at all. Um, and- well, one thing that you reminded me of uh, when you mentioned how, you know, we, there's there's no downtime for our minds to have uh, rest, you know, in between all the content and the screens and everything. I had a recent uh, conversation with um, a guy I interacted with on Twitter, Solbra, and uh, sort of an anonymous account there. It talks about health and uh, fitness and things like that. And uh, he remarked how, you know, a lot of people have these like amazing ideas in the shower and it's probably because it's like that one moment where your phone is, you know, you can't bring your phone in the shower with you. So it's it's, uh, a great idea. It's great. I mean, I used to write songs driving in my car because it's like downtime. The, the, the the stuff of the mind settles and I feel like it opens up channels for inspiration or some information, but yeah, I never thought about that. It's that same idea of, of removing things or getting rid of possessions or whatever. It's like you, you have to make room for those ideas to come in. If you're flooding your brain with, you know, refreshing Instagram as frequently as possible, there's no room for any sort of insight or, you know, ideas to even come into your mind. It's occupied. Sure. Sure. And, 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 and what are they? Um, I think the idea of what public school was in America, and you could do fact check this one, but, it was the time of like Ford motor industry where they're training everybody to work in assembly lines and where you sit quietly and you do what you're told. And it's sort of like, are we expecting a seven year old to sit quietly? If he, like I drop the kids off and they just run around and you know what? I'm okay with that. You know why? They're kids. Let them run around. That's what kids do. Let them get it all out. I'm trying to like nail a six-year-old who's really active. And then we got to diagnose him as this kid can't sit still. He's got some, you know, learning disorder. Yeah, and write, the him, fact write was, him some prescriptions. Right. And the fact was, it was a, um, it's not a learning disorder. It's just like, there's a different type of intelligence going on. And his intelligence isn't where sit down and shut up. 
you know, we've probably done that. We've probably ruined a lot of great artists, a lot of great musicians, a lot of great, you know, leaders by trying to like shove them in a tiny little box. Certainly. And it's, it's per- particularly uh, dangerous for, you know, young boys who, you know, like, like have to exert the, that kind of energy. Like it's, there's tons of studies about how boys compare to girls in school and in that kind of environment. But even still for any young kids, I think it's, it's, it's kind of a crime what we're doing to, to, you know, generations of kids to put them through this system where, uh, you know, when they're in that realm and they're not able to play or interact with each other, they're not really able to socially develop in a way that's, you know, going to have them figure out how to regulate their own mood or interact with other people. You know, it's like that play. Truthfully, is really it's like a, it's it's a slot. As far as I'm concerned, it's a slaughterhouse for kids because it's uh, if the goal, you know, according to the Greeks and the traditional Indian system of education, the goal of education is to develop character. That is the last thing I developed in my public high school, <laughs> in my public junior high school. That is, it's the antithesis of what I developed in junior high school. It, my mind was to be a dirtbag. That's what I learned in school. And yeah, you get some technique. Who gives a crap about technique? I don't care if my kids are as dumb as stone, as long as they have good character. What do, you, what do we want out of our kid? Some technique? He can you know, shoot 20 foul shots, or he's really good at engineering. He's expert at calculus too. Who gives a crap if they have lousy character? Yeah, totally. Right. And it's interesting. I mean, it seems like, uh, with what you do now with teaching yoga and sort of exploring these, uh, other ways of thinking, which I think are, you know, I commend you for, because I think it's very critical for people to adopt these ways of thinking in the right order, as opposed to, you know, sacrificing their, their lives, careers, or, you know, the better part of their youth, uh, you know, and something that they don't enjoy doing. But, uh, I would foresee that in the future, you know, this, this, sort of industry that you're in, I guess you could call it an industry is definitely on the rise because of how uh, crazy we're, we're probably driving, you know, this generation of kids. And as they come up, you age, know, it's I gonna think be- you're on, I think you're onto that. I think we've, we've gotten so far South that you can't hit the bottom. You got to have to hit the bottom then spring off the bottom. Yeah. Because it's killing. I mean, you know, in the eighties I was a vegetarian and it was like a, you were like a nutcase. If you were a vegetarian <laughs> in the early eighties, you're a weirdo to do yoga was like avant-garde. Now, like, it's in the conversation. You can get a, a vegan burger at Burger King. It's it's in the, com- it was never in the conversation. You're always on the fringe of society. You are some peculiar little outcast, but now the, wor- the world is polarizing. And even people who are hardcore, you know, meatheads would be like, you know, I got to start changing my diet. I need to exercise. Maybe you can help me with my lower back issues, you know, and people you least expected or interested, you know, there you do this chanting. I find it sort of like relaxing and it's very interesting who you get to come into a yoga class nowadays. And it's a new world, you know, it's a new world where a lot of people are a lot more broad-minded. Um, uh, yeah, it's a, a completely different world than it was in the eighties, seventies. Forget it. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the internet, you know, as much as the internet can be, you know, distraction and social media can be, you know, harmful in large doses. On the other hand, you know, if utilized properly, it's, it's what gives so many people exposure to so many realms that they would never have seen before uh, in their own box or in their own world or with only three TV channels or a few magazines or whatever. So, you you know, I think you, that's, that's it right on, I think. And we say that a lot in the philosophy of Bhakti Yoga, which is, 
Utility is the principle. It's like, it's not what you got, it's what you do with what you got. Okay, I got the internet. What am I gonna do with the internet? The internet is like 99.9% .9 of wasted time. But if you tune into these, you're like a Google search away from helping yourself deal with uh, chronic disease or cancer or um, you know spirituality or um, you know better health or yoga systems or expanding your prana your your uh, life expectancy but you know using ancient techniques or what foods are better for your constitution and you were just like a few clicks away or the right questions away it was impossible you could you just had to go to libraries and even libraries didn't have books on alternative healing or health or diet or you just couldn't find this stuff. You have to go to obscure bookstores in the city to get anything. Now we're just a few clicks away from information. And we just, but the problem is we're overwhelmed with information and the information's like, who can I trust? So it, it, it's a little, it, it's a little confusing and there's a lot of like sort of like hoops you have to jump through. But I think we're like, in one sense, we're in a more critical situation than ever. In another sense, we're more blessed than ever. And, um, we just need good company who's trying to lift us up. It's all about the company we keep. And I feel like that's sort Certainly. of been the saving grace, even when I was a 16 year old kid. It's just like, it was around some good people. We you know we're solid people and we're thoughtful people. Well, that's what's so powerful about even, you know, like the way that I just, you know, came across you was Joe Rogan and, and that, you know, like his podcast and the people that he curates onto his show. So it's- He's uh, got some good people on that show. Yeah. And that creates sort of like a node where even if you never met Joe Rogan, you're able to, you know, have these people and hear them and hear a conversation between two people for hours at a time to the point where, you know, it's like, even though you were never there in person, you know, which would have been a really rare thing pre-internet right. now, right. post-internet, you can, you know, sort of have that same interaction. Your brain can fire off all those, you know, mirror neurons, like you're in the conversation. Uh, right. And, you know, you can have those positive influences, you know, regardless. So it's really it, it's anywhere starting, and you don't yeah. have to be anywhere. You don't have to sit in front of a TV. You could be, you know, biking. Yeah, exactly. You could be I doing, was listening to podcasts while I go for a bike ride this morning. It was yeah. great. It's a beautiful thing. And if, if anything, now the challenge is the focus, uh, like you're essentially alluding to is the focus to, to, you know, sort of dig through all of that stuff in the internet and be able to, Right, because the there's a lot of podcasts out there. And you know what? They're all can be, like I can tell you some of my, we call it in uh, Vedic thought or in old Indian thought, we call it Maya or illusion. So my type of Maya is these, uh, what are they called? True crime podcast. Ever hear any of those? Um, I I have friends that, that love them. I, I oh yeah, I mean, they're they, first of all, they they make them like, they dramatize them like so well. And like, and then he came in with the knife, clip, clop, clip, clop. He pulled it from his waist. He stuck it into her back. Ah! You know, and they, like, it's like, it's like a 1930s like radio show dramatized with all these like really intense true crime stories, unsolved mysteries. And I tell you, all of the media is filled with these because they're so attractive and um, they, 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 they suck you in like a vacuum. And so I remember when I just got a car and it had Sirius FM on it. And so I'm just spinning through the dial and it landed on one of these and I got sucked in. And I'm really one of these persons. I'm very, very um, discerning about what I put in my ears. 
because I know it creates my mind. It creates my consciousness. Yep. But I tell you, it's a slippery slope. And I started getting into these podcasts and I got to this point where I was like, what the hell am I doing myself? Why do I need to put myself through this much anxiety, stress? I'm, I'm always looking around like someone's going to murder me today. Today is the day <laughs> I'm getting murdered. Or I better start murdering someone before I, it's like you, you get in murder consciousness. And imagine a whole culture of people in murder consciousness. So the problem is there's a lot of candy out there. Yep. Sometimes the candy has a razor blade in it. And um, there are attractive paths, golden paths that come to dead ends or, ha or have steep cliffs at the end of them. And you really got to be careful. And that's why this principle in yoga philosophy is incredibly careful what we put in our ears. Because what we put in our ears flows out of our mouth and resides in the mind. And that's the concept of reincarnation. It just doesn't mean when you die, you become a bird or a, or a giraffe. It means in this lifetime, I'm recreating my consciousness and my thoughts. And, and eventually that manifests in my actions and my speech. So even if it's attractive, and even though I know all this stuff, you know, it's, 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 uh, alluring. Yeah. And so yeah, that 99%, 99.9% of going through the podcast, going through the media, going through YouTube videos, you can binge watch any of these. So why not binge watch some healthy thing that that's what we tried to do with our podcast. Here's my shameless plug for my podcast, but no, we please. do a daily study of sacred literature every morning. Um, live, we do it at 5 a.m. And we have a Zoom group of about 100 people that follow us live. But we have about, you know, 9,000 people, 10,000 people that listen to us right every day. And it's basically a GPS, an internal GPS through the sacred wisdom teachings of India. So a lot of people, when they think about yoga, they think, okay, down dog, up dog, lower back pain, belly fat, relieve stress. But there is a whole lifestyle there's a greater meal, so to speak, whereas the physical practice is just sort of the condiment of the meal. But the greater meal is a shifting of the consciousness or a shifting of the mind in the way you see the world. And we go over, and I studied this with a friend who I also knew from the punk scene in the 80s, who we both became monks at the same time. And then we later became yoga teachers similar at the same time. And now we both reconnected thir over 30 years later and we started this podcast this year on January 1st. And then by, I won't say coincidence because I believe that there is benevolent forces in the world. So by benevolent forces or call it coincidence or call it good <laughs> fortune, I was did the podcast for about a month and a half and I was in India when we started it. And I got a call from my old friend, Joe Rogan. And he says, hey, I haven't talked to you in a while. I was like, why don't you come to LA and... Uh, I would love to hear about your yoga journey. Maybe you could share it with my audience. And I had not even been listening to podcasts. So I didn't even realize how big Joe Rogan podcast was. <laughs> and then, then my friend was saying, do you realize what happened to you just now? He's bigger than like every late night television show that you grew up with. That podcast is bigger than all of them combined. <laughs> and then I start to realize, and, and I tell you, when after I did the program, I realized I couldn't even put my phone down. It was like, I was getting thousands of messages from people all over. And it was such a, a big boost for, um, you know, for traffic of people like yourself who are sort of like, oh, that's an interesting thing. That's an interesting uh, paradigm, interesting th way to look at, at life. 
etc. That's a, a, a spiritual perspective, and they get they get drawn into it because of that. So it's called Wisdom of the Sages. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, etc. We do it every day, and we have great because I was part of the music scene. Every now and then we get some cool um, guests. We do guests once a week. Otherwise, me and my partner we just give the classes and. Um, but you know we've had like Moby, Moby the artist, Moby last two weeks ago we had uh, uh, Mike D from the Beastie Boys, just people oh, we awesome. know from the old, the old scene. They're still kicking around, have a, like a, they all have a great story to tell, and um, yeah, sometimes it, sometimes it's someone you never heard of, some Swami that I met in India. Sometimes it's like a, a person who studies classical Indian music or something, and. Sometimes we get an Ayurveda, famous Ayurvedic chef from New York City. So yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool community we have there. Um, and it's just now it's, I'm lucky because it was pre-pandemic when we were all doing this on Zoom. And now, you know, we when but the pandemic kicked in, we were all like Zoom experts at that point. And I credit the uh, benevolent forces for that one. So I that's... credit the benevolent forces myself. <laughs> <laughs> but that sounds. I also excellent. believe in malevolent forces. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't have one without the other, truly. So. No. Um, but but that sounds really excellent because it sounds like a, you know, it's I, I describe it as high frequency content, you know, versus like low frequency. Um, you know, which the low frequency is that stuff that sucks you down a YouTube rabbit hole. Whereas the high frequency is when you can study things that are, you know, it's like tried and true because it's been around for hundreds or thousands of years, those kinds you. of resources, you know, like it's those things have stood the test of time. energy frequency and it is a science because it's been tested. Yeah. It's and been it, tested by many, many people. The problem is people said, well, it's not a science because you know, it doesn't happen every time you got to enter the experiment. I can't yes. say hydrogen and oxygen make water. You say, well, I could just say, I don't believe you. Okay, well, walk into the lab and do the experiment. So it's the same thing. You have to enter the experiment for it to actually work. But the experiment, you know, is a high criteria. You got to get rid of a little humility. You, or, or you got to become a little humble or get rid of a little bit of that ego. You got to maybe sometimes change your diet or change your lifestyle or change your thought process. You got to learn to forgive people right? It's hard to do. It's hard to like understand, like that's a big part of the spiritual experiment. You got to learn to forgive people. How yeah. are you going to be happy or healthy if you're resentful? And I that's what tradition, right? Yeah. It's like a lot of friction with the ego and you know, the way it's all friction the with the ego. It's all friction with the ego. And once you can get your, the big fat ego out of the way, then there's like a floodgate of information waiting for us. The problem is the ego is so big. It's like I hit my head against a very low ceiling again and again. And it, it, it ceases the connection between spirit and divinity or spirit and information. Like information won't download to you if the ego is just got the, if the ego's there, it just creates this force field. And just like, it's just like, bing, bing, bing. It won't download any longer. So that's part of the work. You, it's not. I'm not talking from like this is true with any spiritual culture. It's this problems with the ego, and it's the human. And by the way, humility doesn't mean like beating yourself up. That's not humility. Humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. It means thinking of yourself less, take putting yourself not as the center, but to serve the center, 
It's a different concept. We tend to think of I'm self-deprecating. I hate myself. I'm good for nothing. I'm really humble. That's not humility. That's the flip side of the same coin as arrogance. Absolutely. And I, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I appreciate that you're able to uh, take in so many people to educate. The, you're educating educators, which uh, is a powerful thing. Where do you see this going in the next, you know, let's say the trajectory you're on for maybe the next five or 10 years, where would you like to see this, uh, see um, the trajectory? I just think I see this is, I, I, I see truthfully, the trajectory is according to, to the degree that I get rid of all my leaks. It can be very, very successful and exponentially bigger and bigger. Um, but if I don't, if I, if I don't work on my own self edification, then it's just me blah, 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 blahing. And, and that doesn't have the same effect. So it only has its potency if I'm sincere and I, 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 and I live what I speak. And in that case, it can get as huge as the universe wants it to get. I feel like it's a great pleasure to do. And therefore, if it gets bigger or not, what, whatever. There, and there's people being affected. And just that sound going into the universe effects. But um, I, I actually just, just sort of studying what's going on in the world right now, I see it getting bigger than ever because this is, this is the ultimate welfare work we can do for the world is the science of how to change yourself. See, I think the whole world's going to change by me just pointing out the faults of the world and it's not going to happen. The real changes happen when I start to change. It's just like, uh, <laughs> my critique of the world just makes me a critic. But as I start to critique myself and my shortcomings, then I actually tangibly change. And that's how we actually really inspire people is if you inspire me, it's because you live in such a way that's inspirational. And then I say, how can I become like this guy? That's how we change the world by living an inspirational life. It's not by, it's not by calling out everybody. Oh, you're a, see what this person's doing wrong. see what this person's wrong. That creates a condemning, shaming world. And you're not changing anybody. And if they do change, it's for the wrong reason. It's because they, they want to be accepted and they want to be liked and, they want, and, they, and you're shaming them to change. Try it with parenting. It's not going to work. It's not going to have a positive effect. They might change in the short term, but you're not changing their hearts because you don't change by shaming someone. You change somebody by loving them. If a dog is beaten repeatedly and sometimes people adopt dogs and they're very aggressive dogs, how, how, how do you correct them being aggressive? By beating them more? No, you, you, you correct them by loving them. That's how we change in this world. We learn how to love. And this is like a lost art. We think loving is shaming, criticizing. You criticize a kid enough, guess who, you know, guess what's going to They're just going to end up hating themselves. They're not going to even hate you. They're going to hate themselves. And I don't think that's going to be a win for anybody. So this is, I think, the real power, powerful work is we create a community that is really interested in self-evolution. And we get rid of these lousy habits like finding fault in everybody, criticizing, being resentful, taking offense on a regular basis, becoming tolerant, 
finding good in people, letting them know it, right? Yeah. Counting your blessings. I I would love to see this mindset applied to, you know, like what we're experiencing as a, you know, you call it, you know, our national community when it comes to cancel culture. You know, I'd love to see how a different approach could, could. It's not going to work. Alleviate. It's not going to work. Just trying to humiliate people. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's humiliation amplified with, you know, it's another thing that's sort of like one of these, uh, you think we're, we're making people hate. Here's the deal. What we hate in this world is not what's going on between races or cultures or business or pre- what we hate is hate. And in, in the name of hating hate, we're perpetuating hate. The world's more hateful than it's ever been. I've never seen the world like this. And you really? think you're going to hate it by hating? That's like beating the dog that's being beaten. Come on. <laughs> Absolutely. You're going to beat the dog that's been beaten and you think he's going to change. You're just going to get a scared dog. That's that's incapacitated. We have to have a whole new paradigm, a whole new way to, to change the world. And it can happen. And, and it starts with yourself. Absolutely. It's like personal actions. And, and I, I agree entirely with what you said about, you know, it's, you can never you can never shame anybody into changing, but you also really can't uh, convince them with just words. You know, the only way to educate anybody is to to live it and to do it and to uh, have other people be inspired by that and experience that inspiration. That's the highest. You live. You you teach by example. That's the highest way to. That's the highest form of persuasion. I think that was Socrates that said that. Um, but yeah, that, I think that's sort of obvious. The more we create um, others in this world, we're just creating more boundaries. It's the us and them world. Yep. And so the, the spiritual um, platitudes, some people criticize them being spiritual platitudes, are actually spiritual truths. The real change in this world is when we see people instead of finding our differences, finding what we have in common. And that's a great practice. See, what I find is finding faults in the world is for me, what happens is it creates bad thinking, stinking. I call it stinking thinking. (laughs) What the better, the better thing I I, I find for my own thinking thinking and feeling process is what do we have in common? What is the commonality here? And if you look at it on a physical platform, you're not going to find physical equality. It's just not going to happen. Twins, even intellectually or emotionally, everyone's different. Totally. And I don't think we can whitewash the whole world and say, hey, we're all the same. Who wants to live in that world where we're all the same? I, don't, I want theirs to be different. I want Nigerian food and Ethiopian food and Thai food and, you know, uh, whatever. You have, a, you have a mixed palate. That's what, that's what the, makes life so exciting. You can travel to different places. I don't want to homogenize culture. That's, I don't find that um, attractive. But well, that doesn't mean we shouldn't give dignity to all living beings. And that's going to extend, in the yoga world, we say that's going to extend outside even the human species. That's going to extend to the plants and to the earth and to the animals. So where is our equality? It's not on a physical level. It's on a subtle level. And when I say subtle, I mean even more subtle than mind and intellect. Our real connection is that we're all spiritual beings. I'm looking at my cat right now. My cat's a spiritual being. 
Totally. Cat wants happiness. Cat wants joy. Cat's attached. Cat feels loss. It's a spiritual being. And you, you find the, the fall of all cultures is when they take that personalism out of the being, right? We do this in the, in the factory farms. Here I have a cat. He's my, my gorgeous cat, my best friend, right? And then I have a cow that's a commodity. One's, a, one's my best friend. You know, you call your, call your cat um, fuzzy, you know, fluffy, whatever you call your cat. And then you have this other animal that's a commodity. It's a thing. It, it's soulless. And you know what? We do that whenever we're going to invade any country. You know, whenever there's a great genocide, just watch the propaganda start to roll out. These people are cockroaches. They are lower. They are less than. They are not the chosen. It's just yeah. one, you know, depersonal. It's the depersonalization of a body. And so we, in yoga culture, we put spirit in every living thing. That's why we want to give dignity for even plants. Well, just living beings in different bodies. So we say you can't get rid of all violence just to exist. Even if you and me want to go to the movies, we're probably, I might run over a squirrel. I might get bugs on my windshield. But we say minimize. Minimize your violence as much as you can. Yeah, I think that's a truly important thing. I'm glad that you are able to, you know, do what you do. Uh, you know, I look forward to seeing your work progress. I think, uh, like we mentioned earlier, I think, you know, it's sort of lining yourself up in the right direction for, for where society is headed and where, uh, you know, the needs will be for mental health. And so, um, you know, it ties in with our mental health and it's a big problem right now, mental health. So, yeah. So thank you. And, um, yeah, send me a link of this uh, interview and I'll post it on my, uh, my stories or people can, people can find me at Raghunath Yogi, which is R-A-G-H-U-N-A-T-H, R-A-G-H-U-N-A-T-H, Yogi, Y-O-G-I on Instagram and um, Raghunath Yoga on Facebook. And uh, we can connect there. That's, how, that's the community now. It's the online community, but careful. It's a slippery slope. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I look forward to diving into it more. I, I really appreciate your time today. It's been a, an absolute blast talking to you. And, um, you know, I, I wish you the best of luck going forward in the future and, and with the podcast throughout the rest of the year and, and beyond. Thanks, my friend. Let's stay connected, okay? Absolutely. Sounds good. Thank you. Okay. Ciao. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at KWC pod on Instagram at knowledge without college podcast. You can find me Patrick Butler at Patrick Butler zero zero on Instagram and Twitter. I encourage you to send over any feedback you have. If there's any guests you'd like to hear on the show, any topics you'd want to hear discussed. I want to know about it. I want to hear your feedback and opinions. So please, Help me make this a better experience for you and I look forward 
to hearing from you. Have an excellent day and thanks for listening.